Well, it was January 15, 2009, just nine years ago, that U.S. Airway Flight 1549 took off from New York City's LaGuardia Airport en route to Charlotte, North Carolina. They took off from runway number four at 3.24 in the afternoon. The crew made its first report after becoming airborne at 3.25 as being at 700 feet and climbing. There was a good 10 miles of visibility with broken clouds, and at 3.26, Solenberger remarked to Skiles, what a view of the Hudson today. Literally, 37 seconds later, the plane struck a flock of Canadian geese at an altitude of only 2,818 feet, 4.5 miles north-northwest of LaGuardia. The pilot's view was filled with the large birds. The passengers and crew heard very large bangs and saw flames from the engine, followed by silence and an odor of fuel. Realizing that both engines had shut down, Solenberger, also known as Sully, took control, while Skiles worked to checklist for engine restart. The aircraft slowed but continued to climb for a further 19 seconds, reaching about 3,000 feet at an airspeed of about 185 knots, and then began a glide descent, accelerating to 210 knots as it went downward. At 327, Soli radioed a mayday call to New York Terminal, radar approaching control. This is Cactus 1549, hit birds. We've lost thrust on both engines. We're turning back towards LaGuardia. Air traffic controller told LaGuardia's tower to hold all departures and directed Soli back to runway 13. Soli calmly responded, unable. Soli said, to have zero thrust coming from those engines was shocking. The silence was deafening. We had nothing. Soli asked if they could attempt to land in New Jersey, mentioning T-Ter Bureau Airport, I believe. Controllers obtained permission, but Soli then responded right behind that, we can't do it. We're going into the Hudson. In fact, you can go online. There's a whole simulation. In fact, this is a picture from that simulation, and they have the recordings, the back and the forth. The aircraft passed less than 900 feet above the George Washington Bridge. You see a map there, a little bit of the course of this plane, but it had very little time to respond. Soli commanded over the cabin address system, brace for impact, and the flight attendants relayed the command to passengers. Meanwhile, air traffic controller asked the Coast Guard to caution vessels in the Hudson and asked them to prepare to assist in the rescue. About 19 seconds later, at 3.31... The plane made an unpowered ditching. Flight attendants compared the ditching to a hard landing with one impact, no bounce, then a gradual deceleration. The ebb tide then began to take the plane southward. Soli opened the cockpit door and ordered the evacuation. The crew began evacuating passengers through the four overwing window exits and into the inflatable slide raft deployed from the front right passenger door. 
A panicked passenger opened a rear door, which a flight attendant was unable to reseal. Water was also entering in the hole of the fuselage and through cargo doors that had come open. So as the water rose, the attendants urged passengers to move forward by climbing over the seats, which included one passenger that was in a wheelchair. Finally, Soli walked the cabin twice to confirm that it was empty. And the air temperature that day in January, 19. That means a little more to you this week than in past weeks, doesn't it? The water was 41 degrees. Some evacuees waited for rescue knee-deep in water on a partially submerged slides. Some wearing life vests. Others stood on the wings. Or some, fearing an explosion, swam away from the plane. But remarkably, all 155 passengers and five crew survived. After some investigation they said that Soli had made the right decision. And he was praised for saving the lives of all on board. An NTSB board member called the ditching the most successful in aviation history. Then President George Bush called him, as well as President-elect Barack Obama. And a few weeks later, the crew received a standing ovation at the Super Bowl in February. You can see the plane today in the Carolina's Aviation Museum in Charlotte, North Carolina. Soli was noted for his poise and his calm during the crisis. In fact, you can hear it if you listen to it. New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg dubbed him Captain Cool. Nonetheless, Soli suffered symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder in subsequent weeks, including sleeplessness and flashbacks. He said that the moments before the ditching were the worst, sickening, pit-of-your-stomach, falling-through-the-floor feeling that he had ever experienced. As a flight instructor for single and dual-engine planes and gliders, At the time of this incident, he had 42 years and 20,000 hours of experience. Sully said this, One way of looking at this might be that for 42 years, I've been making small, regular deposits into this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January 15, the balance was sufficient that I could make a very large withdrawal. How are you? at staying calm in crisis. Some are good at staying calm. Most, maybe not quite as good. This is my chance to panic, and I'm panicking! (laughs) Where do you make deposits day after day? Today I want to talk a little bit about this idea of being calm in the midst of a storm. By being cool, keeping your cool, not let anything ruffle you, fluster you, or cause you to go into some kind of a panic or tailspin, but to keep your head about you and to think calmly and rationally, how am I going to deal with this situation? And I want to look at this this morning, not just from a secular point of view, but from a spiritual point of view. What does it say about me when I become anxious and stressed and uptight? 
If you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did, I invite you to turn with me to a story in the book of Matthew. And we're really getting to Matthew verse 23, but I'm going to start in verse 18 to give us a little more context. So we're in Matthew chapter 8, begin in verse 18. And there we read in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, if we back up even further than this, Jesus has been preaching, he has been teaching, he has been healing, he is exhausted. And so he says, it's time for us to depart. We need to go to a more solitary place. Let's cross the water here. And before that happens, there's just one more and yet another. And so somebody comes and says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And verse 20, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure you want to follow me wherever I go? And another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, you need to follow me. You need to come after me. And so it's in that context that we get here to verse 23. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Now it says his disciples, but we have to take into account the fact that the 12 haven't been listed yet. In fact, that doesn't come until chapter 10, verse 2. And in chapter 9, he's still calling Matthew, the tax collector. And so this is the disciples in the larger generic sense. And yes, the 12 were probably there, or most of them were probably there, but this is a larger group. In fact, in Mark's account, it talks about other boats that are accompanying the boat that Jesus is in. And so that is the group that we're talking about when it says his disciples followed him. And then in verse 24, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so the boat was covered with the waves. Now, the word there for tempest is an interesting word. It's seismos in the Greek, which literally means earthquake. A term Matthew uses three other times to describe apocalyptic upheavals. It's the same word he uses in Matthew 24. It's one of those signs of the end of earthquakes as part of that. And so this seems to be no ordinary storm, but one in which perhaps Satan is attacking, if you will. The boat is in danger of being swamped. Lives are at risk, as we'll see as we continue reading. But how does that verse end? The boat was covered with waves because of this seismos, this earthquake, this enormous storm. The attack of the devil, of Satan. You ever try and get away just for a little bit? Find a quiet spot? And no sooner do you find yourself on your way, but the phone rings. You get the word. And just like that, you find yourself in a storm. You get word that one of your children has made a drastic decision. They don't want to be part of the church anymore. You get word that somebody in your family is choosing to get a divorce. You get word of an illness. You get word of any number of things 
We no longer need you here. Don't bother to come in on Monday. Whatever it is, the storm strikes. The devil attacks. Yet as we finish this verse, also in the boat, it says, but he, capital H, was what? Asleep. Verse 20, it says he has nowhere to lay his head, but here he has found a place in this boat, in his exhaustion, after teaching, after healing, after the the long lines. Jesus is asleep in this tempest. And in fact, the word for asleep is the imperfect tense, signifying ongoing action. He continued sleeping. That's the better translation. He's not just asleep, he continues to sleep. And the storm gets wild, and the waves are crashing, and you're wondering how in the world, but Jesus is asleep. He doesn't move. And then continuing on, then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are what? Perishing, if you have the New King James. This isn't just a small storm. And we're just not a bunch of ragtags. Many of us are sailors, but this storm is bad. If you don't realize, Lord, wake up, this is a big deal. These waves are overtaking us. We are perishing. Mark 4, verse 38, it says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Not just coming as a request, but you can sense some despair and even some anger toward their master. Do you not care? That we're perishing, that we're caught in this storm. Do you ever feel that way? You cry out to the Lord, but it seems as if he's asleep. And you say, Where are you, God? Don't you care that we're drowning over here? Throw us a lifeline. Matthew 6, verse 30, we read this. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's read that part. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? We've heard that before, right? And I just read it to you on this Sermon on the Mount just a little bit earlier. The grass that's just everywhere, it's plentiful. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, who cares? How much more, if he clothes the grass and takes care of the grass, how much more value are you? Oh, you of little faith. And he says the same thing to them here in this passage. Why are you fearful? Couldn't we say that if we really break it down, if we really distill it, to its its core, that fear is lack of belief and faith. It's lack that God has our best interest at heart. It's a lack that he knows what he's doing, and I'm left out here, and if I don't beg long enough and hard enough, I'm going to perish here. God, don't you care? Fear and worry and anxiety, even if we just want to say stress, is a lack of faith. And Jesus kindly Reminds us, oh, you of little faith, how much more value have I placed 
upon you. Remember that story in Matthew 14, verse 31. A few chapters later, when Peter is walking out on the water, this other storm, if you will, and he gets distracted by the wind and the waves. He's doing well. He's going to Jesus. He's on the right course. But then there's this wave that's just going to topple him. And he wants to see that people are are watching and, and they see what he's doing. And all these things are distracting from what should be his main focus. And he begins to sink. And Jesus stretches out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And so we've seen this before. But then he arose, continuing the latter part of verse 26. Then he, Jesus, arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. That word rebuke used elsewhere for exorcism stories implies again that there's an evil spirit behind the storm. But Jesus rebukes the spirit and what follows is great and supernatural calm. So the disciples react one way, Jesus reacts a different way, and here he says, oh, you of little faith. And so he rebukes the evil spirit, if you will. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and there is a supernatural calm. There's not much more scary, if you ask me, than an ocean that is tossing and turning, and the waves are enormous. But there's not much more peaceful. One of my favorite things, even this past week, we had a a really full moon, didn't we? And I love driving in, and we have this little pond off the side, and if it's timed just right, I can see the moon, and I can see this trail all the way down, the, the still water. I mean, that's peaceful. That's calming. Same water, different circumstances. And in Mark's account, Jesus says it this way, peace, be still. Does anybody need some peace this morning? Your prayer lists seem as if they're just a reminder of all the things that are stressing you out. As you think about 2018 and and the potential and what might be, but what if it's not? And and what if this happens? And what if that happens? And and is this going to be enough of of an emergency fund for this and that and all the other pieces that we think we have to hold together and we worry and we stress and we're filled with anxiety? And Jesus says, peace, be still. Jesus is the ultimate example of sleeping through the storm. To others, it seems naive. It seems silly. It seems out of touch. Somehow they don't get it, how bad this is, and we need to shake them up and convince them this is bad. But Jesus reminds us in this story, no, no, no. Ye of little faith, don't doubt. Don't be anxious. Doesn't this sound a whole lot better? Peace be still. Be still and know that what? I am God. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are much higher and above your ways. Yeah, well, if I don't stress about it, then it's not going to happen. Not true. You can stress all you want, 
or you can be calm all you want, and chances are the outcome will be the same. Yes, there's a work for us to do, and they say there's such thing as healthy stress that actually, you know, gets you out of bed and gets you going and all those kinds of things. But that's not the anxiety I'm talking about. That unhealthy stress. There's a deep peace and security that belongs to those who follow Jesus. And the closer they are to Jesus, the more regularly they're putting deposits in, in God's Word. What I hear you say this morning, Dr. Bailey, bread for daily living, not cake for the occasional celebration. Is that what you said? Brilliant. Love it. If we're not making regular deposits, people will be able to tell. But if we are, there will be a peace that abides. Are you in need of peace today? To be calm in the midst of the storm, to rest in the Father's care and provision? Here's the opposite, Isaiah Chapter 57, 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Sin and stress, the fear of the unknown, has destroyed our peace. And as much as we try, we find ourselves every bit as helpless as the disciples to quiet the raging storm. Where do we get this peace? I love this verse, John 14, 27. It says, my peace. You say, I don't have peace. No problem. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The world can give you medications. The world can give you distractions. The world can turn on the radio and turn on the TV, and if I can just drown all this stuff out. I know people that are so stressed, they don't even turn off any of those things when they go to bed because if there's just an ounce of silence, they go crazy with their thoughts. Jesus says, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Trust in me, he's saying. My peace, I long to give to you. Romans 5, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's that sin issue. It's hard to be at peace with God if there's a known sin in our life that we keep returning to. If there's an issue, if there's some rebellion, whether it be big or small or whatever it is, that causes this, this tension, this stress, this anxiety. But having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know why we become so, so surprised when we see that Christians... The Seventh-day Adventist Christians that rest in his salvation, that rest in the Seventh-day Sabbath, that rest in his justification by faith, it's that resting that allows us to live longer. I know there's other pieces, but to not be anxious and so uptight and upwound all the time. Come unto me. I will give you rest. 
Let me give you my peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Romans 5.1. Desire of Ages 3.36. As Jesus rested by faith in the Father's care, so we are to rest in the care of our Savior. As Jesus rested by faith. I mean, let's be real, Pastor. That's just not even possible. You're telling me when everything is going haywire, I'm supposed to go take a nap? Maybe. What a testimony it would be that you could. I can think of others that have. You remember Daniel and his friends faced with the death penalty, and they say, give us time. Do you remember that story? And so then they go and they have a prayer meeting. I would have had an all-night prayer vigil, but Daniel doesn't. He prays. He says, okay. Daniel, where are you going? It's 930. I'm going to bed. What do you care about sleep? They're chopping off your head in the morning. Well, if it's my time, but I'm going to get some good rest. And he goes to sleep, and what happens in the night? He gets a dream. He gets the dream. I mean, there's a lot in there that's not even really spoken of, but Daniel's not tossing and turning. He's not staring at the ceiling. He's not crying and, and blubbering and making a mess of things. He just, he prays. He gives it to God. He has a peace, and he goes to sleep. How beautiful is this? Yet when we don't sleep, we're saying, in essence, I got this. I know how to burn the candle at both ends. If I just work harder, put a little grit in there, we get things done. As Jesus rested by faith in the Father's care, so we are to rest in the care of our Savior. Finishing this story, verse 27, so the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Lest we think this passage is about us, let's be reminded in no uncertain terms, the focus of this passage remains squarely on Jesus Christ. One who has this kind of power can be no less than God himself. And we can look at all these other reasons and all these other applications, but at the core, this passage is showing the almighty power of God. That he is who he claims to be. When he stands up in that boat and he says, peace be still, and he rebukes the evil spirits and the wind and the waves, and everything stops and it all goes calm. I think sometimes we forget who we're praying to in our times of crisis. You know, we're going to Bill Gates and we're pleading for five bucks. And God says, do you have any idea the resources I have at my disposal? Do you know that I can just speak? And if it's not there, it comes into existence. Psalm 65, 5 and 6 say, O God of our salvation, who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves. Later in Psalm 89, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. 
This is Old Testament, but Jesus is the one that fulfills this. He's God. And it's the same God that we pray to today. And we get all worked up, and he says, relax, take a deep breath, trust me. Now, some might be quick to say, well, he doesn't always calm the storm, and that's true. He doesn't always calm the storm. Sometimes he leaves the storms unstilled for good and godly ends. And we have examples of that too. Paul praying three times, take this from me. But he says, my grace is sufficient for you. But even then, we can be at peace knowing that he is in the boat with us. And ultimately, he will have the last word. We don't have to be anxious or stressed. John and Charles Wesley, after being ordained to the ministry, were sent on a mission to America. On board the ship was a company of Moravians. And violent storms were encountered on the passage. And John Wesley, brought face to face with death, felt that he had not the assurance of peace with God. I mean, that's the real test, if you will, the litmus test. I feel like I'm close to God. I feel like I'm trusting him. And then tragedy strikes. And oh my goodness. And he says, I felt like I didn't have the assurance, the peace with God. And the Germans, on the contrary, manifested a calmness and a trust to which he was a stranger. Wesley further describes, the sea broke over, split the main sail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans calmly sang on. I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? And he replied mildly, no, our women and children were not afraid to die. Our lives are in the hands of our Savior. What is there to be afraid of? I was talking to Bobby Wary last night about her dad. In his mid-90s, lived a, a good life. And just talking about what he has to look forward to. And we both understand that when you die, you fall asleep. And you wait resurrection morning. But we were just talking about how glorious that is. How she says, and he made it through the night, but she wasn't sure last night if he'd make it through the night. And she said, but, you know, just think of it. In a matter of hours, maybe days, as far as his experience, as far as what he knows, he's going to fall asleep and wake up and see Jesus coming. And she says, in part, I'm a little jealous. Aren't you jealous too? We look at it with anxiety and we say, they're on their deathbed. But we can look at it just the other way too, can't we? And say, the next thing they know, they'll see Jesus. There's a huge part of me that says, take me with you, right? We don't have to fear death. Oh, death, where is your sting? If our lives are in the hands of the Savior, what is there to be afraid of? 
Charlotte, thank you for your scripture reading this morning. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. One of my favorite verses, but for me, one of the most challenging. Be anxious for nothing. What is nothing? Well, nothing is everything. I thought it was nothing. No, it's everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then you just leave it there. And the peace of God, there it is again. In case you're wondering where it comes from, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all common sense, all textbooks, all everything, doesn't make any sense will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but in 2018, I need somebody to guard my heart and mind to give me peace. I need peace that only God can give. And I don't know what 2018 has in store for you. I don't know what it has in store for me. But I know that if Jesus is in the boat... I can be at peace. I too can rest in his love, his provision, and in his care. And so that is my challenge to you as we start out this new year. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that as our prayer this morning. Still our souls. Give us a peace that only comes from above. May we abide in you day by day, trust in you fully, so that no matter what comes our way, we won't be anxious, we won't be fearful, but we will be trusting in your ultimate plan to be revealed and shown and carried out. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.